The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to The Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I'm absolutely delighted to have you with us again today. If you're new, welcome to the show. I urge you to go to the self-improvement blog to read about our guest, see his picture. You can watch a couple of his videos. And if you follow the links to his website, be sure to listen to his music. You will be so glad you did that. Today we're going to talk about happiness. You know, each one of us has a desire to find happiness, regardless of how it is that we define it. However, happiness is really not something we find, but something we choose. The media has urged some people to believe that they need another person or prestige or financial abundance to be happy. You know, I think of the line in the movie Jerry Maguire when Renee Zellweger's character said to Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And that caught on as something we need to be happy, somebody else to complete us. And like Lucy in Peanuts cartoon, we want all ups and ups and ups, no downs, and we think that somehow... Sorrow, conflicts, and pain, and without those, we're going to be happy. How can you choose to be happy when your life seems to be crumbling all around you? You We've all had that thought. How can you choose happiness when it seems there is nothing happy-making in your life right now? We're going to talk about choosing happiness regardless of our life circumstances And to do that, we have with us, of course, an expert. Today, we have with us Joseph Emmett, author of Finding the Blue Sky, A Mindful Approach to Choosing Happiness Here and Now. Joseph Emmett trained with Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh at Plum Village in France and was made a Dharma teacher in in Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition. He has a doctorate in music from Boston University and is the author of several books, Buddha's Book of Sleep, which was winner of the 2013 Coalition of Visionary Resources, or COVER, Award for Book of the Year. He has authored Buddha's Book of Stress Reduction and Buddha's Book of Meditation. 
He's recently published a lovely, wonderful book called Finding the Blue Sky, A Mindful Approach to Choosing Happiness Here and Now. You might think that I liked it. I loved it. The founder of the Mindfulness Meditation Center in Montreal, Emmett, lives in Point Claire, Canada. You can find him at mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org, and we'll talk more about that as we go. It is such a pleasure and an honor for me to welcome Joseph Emmett to the Self-Improvement Show. Joseph, welcome. Thank you very much for such a fabulous introduction. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so delighted that you're here. And and I'm going to start with that question that has become somewhat infamous for this show. Tell us about yourself. Who is Joseph Emmett? Well, uh, I... uh, the the book, in a way, recounts my personal journey uh, because I was not born into a happy family. Uh, you know, some people are wealthy by birth. They're born into wealthy families, and some others become wealthy because they want to and they work at it. Uh, so far as happiness goes, I belong in the second group. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I found happiness at the homes of my school buddies. And uh, most specifically, I learned from Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, mindfulness, which is really an amazing tool for going toward happiness in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so many questions for you. You have a doctorate in music. And yet you teach mindfulness meditation. How did you transition from music to mindfulness, and how do the two work so beautifully together for you? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really transition. I'm still there. Uh, I was very lucky that uh, uh, I stumbled upon Thich Nhat Hanh because. Uh, he uh, likes music, and uh, singing is a is a big part of uh, the Plum Village tradition. If you if you go there, you wake up to chanting. Then there'll be half an hour of singing before the morning talk. Mm. And then there'll be singing before the work period, and singing before walking meditation, and singing throughout throughout the day and evening. And I found that very inspiring. I found that I had. I was at the right place for me, and uh, so I started by collecting the songs I found there and publishing them in a book called The Basket of Plums. Uh, At the time when I was first there, there were about 20 mindfulness songs, and this resident, Terry Barber, knew them all by heart. Uh, Over the years, now there are hundreds and hundreds, (laughs) nobody knows them all, and then I started writing my own, to first to Thich Nhat Hanh's poetry, then to my own words. And, uh, yeah, I was able to uh, combine my, my uh, love of music with my interest in uh, uh, Buddhist practice, mindfulness practice, uh, through Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh is such an illustrious, learned, wonderful teacher what was it like to study with him? 
Well, it's his presence that is uh, uh, so striking. He smiles a lot. He's uh, he's always smiling. In fact, you know, I've been there maybe for a total of a whole year, but in one month increments, three weeks at a time, whatever. And in between, I sort of uh, forget how beautiful his smile is. And every time I saw him, I was struck by it over again. And uh, he has this well-known saying, sometimes I smile because I'm happy, and sometimes I'm happy because I smile. (laughs) Try it. (laughs) Try it. Try it. You almost (laughs) cannot be unhappy if you have a smile on your face. (laughs) You just just can't. You you ha- you founded and now operate the Mindfulness Meditation Center. Tell us a little bit about that and the work that you do there before we start talking about your book. Well, I uh, have uh, workshops right now. We're in the middle of an eight-week stress management through mindfulness uh, class. Uh, I have a class at the Jewish General, uh, which is one of the big hospitals here in Montreal for cancer patients. I uh, have um, given workshops for uh, teachers, uh, teachers' conventions at uh, McGill Health Sciences uh, and at School of Management, judges, a number of groups like that. And I see people privately and... uh, that I find very rewarding because I uh, get to learn about people, and uh, it's it's more more specific uh, to each person's need, which is a little different. So, uh, yeah, and and then I, I I had a group last semester about uh, well-being through mindfulness. So. Uh, yeah, this is what I do at the center, and uh, uh, continue to do and uh, write books in between. And write books in between, and you've written a number of books. Um, it's interesting. You've written Buddha's Book of Sleep, Book of Stress Reduction, and Book of Meditation, and now you're writing about happiness. Uh, your latest book, Finding the Blue Sky. A mindful approach to choosing happiness here and now is, I haven't read the other ones, but a little bit of a departure. Uh, What led you to write a book about happiness? Well, you know, many traditions are emotionally neutral. Uh, Buddha himself at one point said, I only teach one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. But uh, not suffering is not the same as being happy. And uh, two of the best-known and best-loved Buddhist teachers of our time, Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama, uh, go an extra mile uh, toward happiness. Uh, The Dalai Lama has two books uh, entitled The Art of Happiness. And... um, so um, I 
I embarked on that on that journey uh, because the Buddhist practices uh, Buddhism is basically a practice and not a philosophy so much and the practices of mindfulness and other practices around that are essential tools for uh, for leading us uh, on the journey to happiness so it it was a very appropriate for me to uh, to take that route uh, with Thich Nhat I find that your book, although it's very Buddhist, is good for anybody who really wants to find happiness. You know, I, I don't want the listeners to think that if you're not a Buddhist, you can't benefit from this book. Uh, I, I really encourage you to get it. Um, and make it your own. It's really very helpful. Let's mm-hmm. define a couple terms before we start talking about a book, your book. Two terms. The first one is happiness. How do you define or how do you describe happiness? Because you know, we all have our own view of what it is. Well, um Barbara Fredrickson, who's a professor of psychology, uh, prefers the word positivity. She has a book by that title, and uh, she she says exactly what she said, that happiness has been used in so many contexts and in so many ways that it's become a little vague and overused. Uh, She considers positivity as a synonym for happiness. And uh, I concur. I, I I agree with that. And I often ask people to uh, make a list or to give me a list of positive emotions. And there's often a bit of a silence when I ask that. And then they come slowly. Whereas if I ask for negative emotions, for example, people have no trouble blurting out, you know, anger, rage, uh, fear, whatever, uh, one after the other. So positive emotions, including joy, compassion, hope, courage, um, admiration, uh, empathy, love, joy, happiness, these are in a class by themselves, and I sometimes encourage people to make a list and put it somewhere where they can see it. If, if you're going to go towards it, you know, it's it helps to know what you're going towards and, yes. and to be reminded of your goal every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And the second one we need to define, of course, is mindfulness. How do you describe or define mindfulness? I mean, the, the word itself pretty well describes it, but you know, for those who aren't into it, how would you describe or define it? Well, I'll, I'll go with the, with the definition that I think uh, John Kabat-Zinn goes with, which is uh, intentionally, paying attention intentionally. Uh, which, of course, comes right back to positivity because there's so many things like on the media, on TV, the news, whatever, so many negative things 
Uh, it could even be about your health, uh, about your relationship, about uh, uh, some recalcitrant children you might have, whatever. Uh, but paying attention intentionally, you pay attention to what is what is good, what is working, rather than what is not working in, in your life, what is beautiful about your children, uh, what is beautiful about your relationship, the blue sky, if you like, rather than the clouds. So uh, paying attention intentionally uh, takes us right there. Wonderful. And we're going to pay attention intentionally to the fact that it's time for us to go to break. This is Irene Kahneman with my guest, Joseph Emmett, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Joseph Emmett. We're talking about his book, Finding the Blue Sky, A Mindful Approach to Choosing Happiness Here and Now. And I think that's what all of us want, happiness right now, right here. Um, Joseph, tell us the significance of Finding the Blue Sky. Why did you name the book that? Oh, it's a long story. Uh, I was inspired by a book, uh, Finding, I think it's something like the title is Finding Water, uh, meaning that a tree grows roots in order to touch water, and the water gives it life. And... uh, uh, that was at the back of my mind. I enjoyed the book. And uh, 
my teacher Thich Nhat Hanh is always pointing at the beauty of nature, the beauty of trees, of flowers, of people, the blue sky. So at some point, the two came together in my mind, and uh, uh, the title sort of popped up. And I'm so glad that the editor provided uh, such a nice uh, blue cover to go with the title. Yes. <laughs> it, it's like an Arizona sky. You know, our sky is almost always blue. And one of the things that came to my mind is some people are always looking for clouds. You know, they're they're looking more for the the cloudiness and the gray than they are the blue sky. And I didn't know whether that affected the title or not. That you wanted people to see the blue sky, and not look for the the cloudy one. Just the mm. just the thought there. Well, the cloud a cloud is not the sky. Uh, that is. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes people with sadness and anxiety, those are clouds in a way. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that is the mind for them. The mind is sadness. The mind is anxiety. But uh, one of the songs at Plum Village that are often sung goes like, The mind is a clear blue sky. Ah. And then continues with, Clouds come, clouds go, but the mind is a clear blue sky. Oh, that love sort of, that. Yeah, it sort of uh, tells the story in uh, very succinctly. Who can benefit most from reading this book? Well, uh, the book has many levels. It's a cheerful book because every chapter starts with a Zen story. I'm a fan of those crazy Zen stories. Some people call it crazy wisdom. Uh, so I put one in every chapter. And then it continues with a part that I call time for reflection, sort of talking about the same issue, but uh, in a chatty way. And then the third section of each chapter is called for practice, where there are at least three practices um, to help you get there. Um, you know, if you want to play the guitar, you can read about how to play the guitar endlessly, but, you know, you won't be playing the guitar. Uh, so you need the practice and how to practice. So the third section is... Uh, there might be a guided meditation, there might be a practice song, a practice poem, a practice theme, uh, and those are all, the practice supplements are all on the website, mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org, center spelled the Canadian way, T-R-E at the end, and uh, since they're part of each book, click on books. And the first one is the last one, Finding the Blue Sky. The next one is Buddha's Book of Meditation. They each have about a dozen practice songs. Uh, they're available for free download. Click and play or click and download. And there's also another tab uh, with songs in it. I think it says practice songs, something like that. So there's quite a choice of uh, practice songs there. You can download them if you like onto your portable device and uh, 
uh, listen to a song uh, train and the bus uh, at the coffee shop uh, taking a walk and uh, I really recommend uh, taking this little meditation break twice a day you know three minutes each three minutes each and it will totally change your day and uh, after a while after a few weeks you'll notice the cumulative difference it makes in your mood and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on who who did you write this book for who can benefit the most from reading it I honestly can't think of anybody who couldn't benefit from reading it, but you know, who did you have in mind? Well, uh, it's a book that you can come back to. Uh, you can come back and read a chapter, for example, about the chapter about self-regulation and the chapter about not getting in your own way. Uh, you can come back to this book and read one chapter at a time it's really a chapter that can accompany anyone on their journey through life. Uh, we, uh, you know, life throws curveballs at us here and there, and uh, it, it can sort of uh, suggest ways of dealing with different different challenges. Or you can read it from cover to cover and take time to do the exercises. Uh, the exercises are an important part of the book because we're talking about changing habits. And uh, those are only possible by practice, by practice. And sometimes people underestimate an incremental change. Uh, they're impatient. They want it to happen overnight. But do not underestimate a 1% change. A 1% change every day over 100 days. Yes. 100%. 100 days, three months. It took the Buddha six years to achieve his awakening. So 1% change is not to be scorned at all. So are you saying that if you, if you do the practices regularly, faithfully, mm-hmm. mindfully, that by the time you've worked through the book, you will notice some significant change. You will notice that, I guess the way I want to say it is you'll notice that you're happier. You'll notice more happiness. Is that and a others statement? around you will notice it as well. Yes. It, it's not <clears throat> going to happen like overnight. It's going to happen over several weeks. Uh, my first book for Penguin, Buddha's Book of Sleep, uh, made that very clear. Uh, the subtitle was Sleep in Seven Weeks with Mindfulness Meditation. I wasn't making any false promises. <laughs> and I'm, I don't want to make any of this book either. Well, you know, the book, the book is very solid. Uh, it's it's sweet, it's happy, it's but it's also very solid. And I think that it can, if people are serious with it, 
it sounds a little um, anti-happiness, but if they do this seriously, <laughs> mindfully, that they will notice a big change, and some of that may begin sooner than than they than they think it might. Let me ask you this: We talked about what mindfulness is. What does it have to do with happiness? Do you have to be mindful to be happy? I think so, and I think that you have to be mindful so that other people around you are happy. Mindfulness is not a standalone skill as the Buddha saw it. It was part of a set of life skills, which included, for example, speaking kindly, speaking mindfully. And that is so important because you can you can ruin somebody's day as well as make somebody's day how you speak to them. And that, of course, includes your children, your partner, your boyfriend, girlfriend, and and the people you're working with. If you're a manager, the people you work with. You know, people obsess about what their boss said to them that day, and uh, it makes a huge difference. So uh, mindfulness and and... Another, another teaching from the Buddhist tradition is a nourishment. We, of course, one source of nourishment is what we eat, you know, food. But also, what we see around us is nourishes the soul. Just take a walk in nature, and, and you'll notice the difference. It's food for the soul. The same way... Watch what you listen to, what books you read, what shows, what movies you go to. They can make you, they can bring you down or move you up. And also our own thoughts are nourishment. Uh, You know, you can brood about something, you know. How could she do that to me? She's so mean. You know, keep like that. And you're you're nourishing unhappiness, really. You're nourishing your anger, your rage. So, um, yeah, mindfulness. Mindfulness of what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Mindfulness of how you speak to other people. Mindfulness has a central part in, in, in this voyage of happiness. And on that note, We're going to go to break, and while we break, I want the listeners to think about how mindful they are of what's going on within them and what they say, what they think. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Joseph Emmett, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. Are you looking for life's answers? 
How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Joseph Emmett. We're talking about happiness here and now, about mindfulness, actually. Joseph, you say in your book that many people view happiness as something that just happens, and we've talked about that in the beginning of the show. They aren't aware of the myriad choices that happy people make as they go about their day, you say. Talk a little bit about the kind of choices happy people make. Uh, question very dear to my heart. I'm very lucky to be living with uh, a woman who is, uh, has a sunny temperament by nature or by upbringing or whatever. Those two are very difficult to uh, to distinguish. One of the things I notice about her is that she lets go of things so easily. Even if we have a heated discussion about something, ten minutes later... It's all gone. She has turned the page. She has moved on. No desire to bring up the subject again, to go back there or whatever. She, it's, it's, the sun is out right away. The cloud is gone and the sun is out. And you could call that mood regulation. Uh, she regulates her moods to come back to a positive mood. Uh, very quickly. That's a skill. I don't think she learned it. Uh, it seems to come naturally to her. And uh, I had to learn those things. Yeah. Mood regulation. Think, yeah. Is, you talk about that a good bit in your book, and, and I found it very helpful. I, I uh, think many of us aren't even aware that we can regulate our mood. We let our mood regulate us. How does mindfulness help with mood regulation? Well, one metaphor I, I give is a bicycle rider, uh, finding her balance. Uh, you know, uh, we forget how long it took us to learn to ride a two-wheeler. Like, we had training wheels, and we forget the day when we didn't need them anymore. We were not falling anymore. It's not easy, this balance. It took us a long time to learn to walk, and some people as they uh, reach uh, ripe old age, uh, still find it very difficult. They use walkers and all that. So balance, finding your emotional balance, uh, just like a bicycle rider. The bicycle rider is aware of the first signs of losing your balance, 
and she's always adjusting, uh, you know, with how how she goes, so that she's always going in a straight line. Now, you might think it's just happening like that, but it's, uh, you know, put a statue on a bicycle and give it a push, and you'll see what happens. You know, it'll come crashing down because the statue is not aware that that it's losing its balance. It's not aware so that it can make the changes necessary. So awareness is the first step. And it's possible to lose your emotional balance without being aware of it at all. Like many people, their depression, for example, is diagnosed by someone else. Like a person might go visit an elderly parent, you know, at a, uh, at a, at a residence, and notice and say, hmm, I think you're a little depressed and talk to the nurses about it. Or I have a friend whose whose depression was diagnosed by his wife. He was working at a construction firm. He would he'd go to the drive there and park in the parking lot and uh, cry for half an hour before he went into work. And his wife got a wind out of that and uh, wind of it and 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 said to him, hey, I think you're depressed. Go see somebody. He didn't know. So awareness, which is another word for mindfulness, uh, is a very important step in uh, in getting the bicycle to go, oh, to go yeah. straight and being balanced. Do you think that people, mo- most people or many people are aware that they can be in charge of their moods, that they can regulate um, their mood to be pleasant instead of sour or happy instead of sad or angry? Or do they just go with it? Well, this awareness, unawareness is very common. Like, for example, you might say to somebody, why are you so angry? And he might say, I'm not angry. But everyone in the room knows that he's angry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got all known people that do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, this unawareness is is very common, uh, you know. I I think the the meditations that you have in the book give so much in, insight as you as you work through these, and some of them are are really. Um, well, they're different than any meditation. And I love that you can go to your website and get the meditations that go with this book. And and in the in the chapter on mood management, you asked a question in the beginning of that meditation that just uh, you know kind of jarred me. I guess it it, it woke me up. Um, you know how you get when all you're all relaxed, and you said you asked the question, "What percent of you is here now?" And where is the rest of you? And I'm thinking, wow, how, how much of me is here? And I had to stop and really do some work trying to recognize how present I really was in that meditation. And let me tell you, I was present for the rest of it. <laughs> but they're, they're yeah. just, they're wonderful. How many people are, are aware that they're not here? right now you know it it just it's such a great question and the meditations are so good you you don't 
you don't talk through the whole meditation. You give time to reflect, and I really appreciate that. You know, but that question, have, have other people reacted that way to that question when you ask it? Well, you know, I meditate every private client, and I tailor uh, the guided meditation. First, we have a chat, and then I get a sense of what their challenges are, what why they're there, and so on. And then I tailor the guided meditation toward that. So uh, I'm doing that sometimes uh, several times a day, and uh, so I'm I'm quite uh, used to making up guided meditations, making them up <laughs> the occasion, and. Uh, and, and I, I must say, I have a lot of experience with that. So, yeah. yeah. That, I must have needed that because it really hit me. And, and I really, I, I look forward to the meditations at the end of the chapter. I have to confess, I haven't worked all the way through the book, but I, I look forward to every one of them. Uh, it's, it, it really is just what I need right now, I guess. You know, it's, it's food for me. You ask the question in the book, what brings you joy? And I think that's such a wonderful question. So I want to ask you, uh, what brings you joy? Well, what brings me joy is walking in nature. Right now, uh, the trees have put on their colorful clothes for the fall Mm -hmm. season, and uh, it's the perfect time before the leaves all fall down. (laughs) They're still on the trees, but they're all in colors, and I'm lucky enough to be living by a lake, and I really enjoy being being in nature. That brings me joy. Being with my partner brings me joy. Being with my year old grandson <laughs> brings me joy. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yes, life is full of, full of joy when, you, uh, uh, and when you're with it, when you're, when you're with it, yes. Do you think that most people have access to joy if they are willing to recognize joy? I know people who say, I have no joy. And yet, there's joy everywhere. How how do you get people to recognize the sources of joy all around them that they don't see? You you hit a very very important uh, point, uh, and it's very true what you say. The joy, and not only joy, but positivity, doesn't come easy to many people. Uh, one client struggled with it for months. Another one, a man who was sexually abused at the age of 12, told me, I have no idea how to make my mind full. And I could, I could understand him in some way. So one way to find joy is to bring to mind occasions who spontaneously felt joyful. Uh, I mentioned a few for me. Uh, everybody has occasions like that. 
uh, I don't know, maybe you won the lottery, <laughs> maybe the day, uh, you know, your son was born, maybe even a pet, uh, uh, there is a joyful occasion in everybody's life. Go there mentally. And when you do, the emotion comes spontaneously with with the memory. Mm-hmm. So do that several times a day until the emotion of joy becomes sort of closer to the surface in your heart. We all have that emotion, but in some of us it's buried deep. So this is the Buddhist idea of cultivating the garden of your heart. Uh, bring what may be buried deep closer to the surface. And the only way to do that is to bring that to mind. You can do it the way I described. You can do it with mindfulness songs. They're all positivity songs. You can do it by choosing the movies you watch, uh, books you read. Yeah. Uh, find ones that, that bring you joy. And, yeah, so uh, this is the way. This is the way of cultivating the garden of your heart. And on that note, as we go to break, I want the listeners to think about all the things around them that bring them joy. This is Irene Connell with my guest, Joseph Emmett, saying stay tuned. We'll be back with more of the Self-Improvement Show. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self improvement show. My guest today is Joseph Emmett. We're talking about happiness, a mindful approach to choosing happiness here and now. I urge you to go to the self improvement blog and read about Joseph and go to his website. You'll find the link there. I truly encourage you to find his book, Finding the Blue Sky, at Amazon or your local bookstore and getting it if you're at all serious about becoming happier. Uh, It's a wonderful book. It's something everybody can use uh, regardless of their belief system. It will simply make you more aware of all the happiness around you and help you manage 
your own uh, life, I guess I want to say, so that you can realize more happiness. Joseph, in the practice session for your chapter, Becoming Need Smart, Become Need Smart, I love that chapter, you have the song, First Find the Beauty in Your Own Heart. It's a great song. It struck me as being especially important these days when we're so distracted by all the electronic devices that we hardly notice what's going on around us. Speak a, a bit to finding the beauty in your own heart. How do you do that? Um, well, you have things there. One is talking about needs, and the other one is finding the beauty in your heart. Uh, let me start with the first one. Uh, our needs are few. Uh, they, we need uh, a sort of belonging. We need uh, some sense of accomplishment or being useful somewhere. Uh, we need uh, to feel secure. They're relatively few, but our wants can be endless. Uh, so, focusing uh, on the need makes it easier to satisfy it. A very, very simple example. We all need water when we're thirsty, but some of us like to drink a sugary pop drink. Some of us like to drink beer. Some of us like to drink tea or whatever. So the need is so simple. Water. Wants are numerous. I mean, just go to the, look at the uh, section uh, in the supermarket and yes. <laughs> they're really numerous, you know, the, the way to satisfy that need. But unless you are in touch with the need, the need for water, you will not come back to it. You'll get stuck on beer, you'll get stuck on sugary drinks, and that might not be the best thing for you to do. In the same way, need you need love, you need belonging, but perhaps you're not getting it where you are. If you focus on the need, then you're more likely to find it somewhere. But if you focus on that particular person, let's say, uh, whatever, uh, might be frustrated in the end. So being need smart is touching the need inside and going toward that. And uh, it's helped me a lot in my own, own journey. The other question, I must confess, I already forget what it was. Could you repeat We that? were talking about finding the beauty in your own heart. Mm, yes. Well, uh, you know, uh, Joni Mitchell has this beautiful song about going to paradise and paving paradise and making a parking lot out of it. Uh, finding the beauty in your heart. They're uh, dear to my heart because uh, otherwise... You go somewhere, you turn it into something that is not as beautiful. Uh, what you do, what you turn environment into is a reflection of uh, the beauty in your own heart. It's, uh, 
it's even even if you're an interior decorator, you you have it inside, and then you yes. realize it outside. Mm-hmm. In the afterword of your book, you talk about the challenge of the media and its focus on unhappiness rather than happiness. How do we know what is going on around us without getting involved in the negativity? I find that such a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think uh, the, I talk about mood contagion sometimes, you know. Uh, someone else's mood affects us. Uh, I mean, when you're talking with someone angry, say, say imagine someone yelling at you, road rage, whatever. You know, at first you them in wonder, you know, what's going on there. But after a while, if he keeps yelling at you long enough, you may find you're getting angry yourself. Now, that's that's mood contagion. But it can work the other way, although, like, your calm and peace and uh, loving heart can also infect others. With Contagion could work the other ways also. And also you can resist con- contagion. So you could notice someone's unhappiness and instead of being affected by it, you can try to project your own, own more sunnier disposition toward them. And, and, and this is, this is something we all need. We all need friends like that, you know. Friends who bring us up rather than bring down. Yeah. And with, you know, I, I finally limited the amount of news that I watch. I watch it maybe once a day. Some days I don't watch it at all, depending on what's going on. And then, you know, they say the same thing over and over anyway. So I haven't missed much. I still know what's going on, but yet I don't get involved in all the the ne- negative talk and all the negative presentations that they have. I, I don't know whether that's, you know, turning my back on reality or maintaining my sanity. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it, it helps not to get involved in it. We're right up at the end of the show, Joseph. What's the thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I wish from the bottom of my heart for everybody uh, among your listeners to go toward a happier life, toward a more positive mood, toward a sunnier disposition. And uh, we are not stuck anywhere. The mind, the brain is plastic. We can change. We can change for the better. But it takes a little bit of practice. My teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, T-H-I-C-H, I'll repeat that again, T-H-I-C-H, just Googling the first word <laughs> is usually enough to get Yeah. This. You might enjoy exploring his teachings. You might enjoy reading his books. You can do the practice in my book, whatever. Find a way uh, to be more positive and to be happier and you'll enjoy your life more. Lovely, lovely message. Joseph, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your wonderful book with us, 
Finding the Blue Sky, a mindful approach to choosing happiness here and now. I encourage all the listeners to get this book, but I especially want to thank you for being with us and for the work you do. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You are so very welcome. This is Irene Collin and my guest, Joseph Emmett, saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.